Good morning. So Mike, can older bald guys come to that? The, all right, good, because when I hear it's the millennials and all, I'm a Gen X person from the 1980s. So Gen X people and baby boomers and bald guys and older people can join the, the young people. 900 people already? That's pretty, pretty fun, pretty exciting. Good morning. Welcome to Our Lords. My name is Brock. I am one of the pastors on our leadership team, along with Mike Milner and Brad Kilman, and we love that you're here with us today at Our Lords. We're in an exciting new season here at OLCC, and we're going to be talking about some things in the month of April. Um, we are actually right now um, talking with our staff and talking with our leaders about a new mission statement that we've got. And so for the whole month of April, we're going to address that and, and ponder that together. But it's essentially this. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. So we'll be saying that, we'll be learning it, and it, it's emphasizing that everything we do here flows out of community. We are a community. We're family, we're spiritual family together, and we are devoted to encountering the presence of God together like we were this morning in worship, and then along with that to giving ourselves, pursuing formation in Jesus. Each of us is called to have the character of Christ formed in us and have the life of Jesus expressed through us. It's amazing. And then we're all called to be on mission with Jesus wherever we are, at Cassidy School, at businesses, anywhere and everywhere we're on mission with Jesus here at Our Lord's. We are uh, nearing the end of our series here on the kingdom of God. Some of you have loved it. Some of you may be saying, I'm ready for the end. But we're looking at the kingdom of God in the book of Acts today. And I have an ulterior motive in this. We're walking through scripture, getting a biblical vision of what the kingdom of God is. And so we here at Our Lord's, we are committed to the word of God. We're committed to scripture. And part of what we do on Sunday mornings is we gather around scripture and we look at it together and we uh, it's an invitation for you to go deeper into the scriptures. My role here is not to entertain you. I am not, my, my motivation is not to come and dazzle with any kind of, my goal is to say, this is the word of God. Let's look into it together. Amen? And so that is our role. Whoever is going to be up here preaching, communicating, that's what we're doing. And we're looking at the kingdom of God in Acts. Some of you are saying, what is the kingdom of God? It's the rule and reign, the presence of God. How many of you sensed something going on in the room this morning? I did. Some of you are saying, I don't know if I've ever experienced that or I'm, I'm new to this. Some of you may be a little rusty. That's the presence of God. It's why we were created is to encounter the presence of our maker. I've been looking at Augustine, St. Augustine, and he has a phrase that he says, our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. And so when we encounter the kingdom of God, the presence of God breaking in, that restlessness that you and I carry, all of a sudden we find a place to rest in God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the love that the Father has for us. So this morning we're turning our attention. You can look in your Bible to the book of Acts, the first chapter. Why is this called 
the Acts. Historically, people have called it the Acts of the Apostles, but I want us to recognize this morning that this is actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Subtle shift there. This is the Acts of God, the Spirit of God through the church, through the Apostles. The book of Acts is um, actually a second part of the Gospel of Luke. So in the ancient church, it was known as Luke-Acts. The book of Luke focused on the life and ministry of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and then this second part, the acts of the Holy Spirit, is when Jesus turns to the church and says, I've lived this way. I have brought the message of the kingdom of God, and I've proclaimed it and demonstrated it, and now it continues through you, church. And so we're looking at the second part of this magnificent story, the life of Jesus now being lived through his church. What I want us to do, I want you to look at Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to point out to you that the book of Acts, it's 28 chapters, and I want you to see the way that it starts and the way that it ends. Then we're going to go and look at one particular passage. Why in the world would I have us do that? Let me just ask you, how many of you have walked into a movie theater late? Anyone done that before? I've done that. I walk into a movie maybe three minutes late, five minutes late, seven minutes late, and I'm just lost the whole time. I've missed. I'm going, who? Wait, why is she doing that? What what is going on here? Some of us have also missed the end of a movie before. Maybe you walk into the living room, and my wife does this sometimes. She'll say, hey, I missed much of this. Will you fill me in on it? And I tell her, no. Sorry, I'm sitting here watching. But nice, compassionate husband that I am. So the beginning and the end of a film are critical to know what's happening in the storyline, the narrative. And the same is true with the book of Acts. So look at Acts chapter 1, and I want us to look at the first few verses here. Again, keeping in mind that this is part two. The, The author, Luke, has written the gospel of Luke, and now he's referencing the first book that he wrote as he moves into the second book, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And look what he says, Acts 1, 1 through 8. And he's addressing a gentleman named Theophilus. His name means lover of God. So he's writing this for Theophilus. He says, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. It's the Gospel of Luke. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, listen to what they asked. Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we find Jesus here, after his resurrection, for 40 days, 
talking about what? The kingdom of God. How would you have liked to have heard that? 40 days of a crash course in the kingdom of God from the mouth of Jesus himself. So the author is letting us know here there is a key theme or motif that's going to be running through all 28 chapters. So here he is introducing this. And you see the early followers of Jesus here saying, Jesus, you've been talking to us about the kingdom. Is this the time now that you're going to restore it? Are you going to establish the kingdom that Daniel and Isaiah and other prophets predicted? And what does Jesus tell them? It's not for you to know. So he's saying, this is mystery here that you can't know. Only the Father knows, but I can tell you what you can participate in, and that is mission. So one thing is mysterious, we don't know, but the other he draws the church into is mission. You can always be sure that we've received power from the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you have a question for God. It may not be about the kingdom, but maybe you've got a nagging question. God, why is this? Why am I suffering this way? Why is this going on with me? And you know what? You may not get an answer. But what you will hear is what the disciples heard. My power is here for you. I clothe you. I fill you with the Spirit. And you have power to represent me. So Acts 1.8 here, it outlines the rest of the book. And if you're not convinced here, look at Acts 28. Go to the end of the book here, Acts chapter 28. So that's the beginning of the narrative. And now this is the end of this dynamic book about the life of Jesus continuing and extending through his church, through his people. So we had Jesus talking about the kingdom in the first chapter, the disciples asking about it, and now look at Chapter 28, verses 23 and 24, and then I'll skip down to 30 and 31. And a little context here. Paul has been traveling all through Asia Minor on multiple missionary journeys, sharing the message of Jesus, planting churches, raising up new Christian communities. And so at verse 23 here, it says, after they had set a day with him, they came to him at his lodgings in great numbers. Paul was actually under house arrest in Rome, and he was on his way to meet with the Roman leaders. And it says, from morning until evening, he explained the matter to them. What is Paul talking about? Testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said. Others refused to believe. Now look at verses 30 and 31. In case we don't get the clue here, what the entire book is about, verses 30 and 31 say this. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So we find Paul talking about the very same thing that Jesus is the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign, the love of God breaking in to lives, changing lives, establishing the will of God on the earth. So the author of Acts is making it abundantly clear. Are you convinced? The uh, scholars call this actually an inclusio, and it creates almost like a picture frame 
An ancient author like Luke is doing this very intentionally. He's saying chapter one is framing this. It's like a bookend here. And chapter 28 here is restating the original theme here. And so all of those subsequent chapters are about the kingdom of God. Even if it's not stated in every chapter, we know that the book of Acts is about the kingdom of God breaking in to human history. So if that's the case, I want us to look at the kingdom of God expressed in one particular chapter, and that's Acts chapter 2. So turn to Acts chapter 2 if you have your Bible. We have slides up here if you don't. Now that we've seen that the book of Acts is actually framed as a kingdom book, I want us to look at four particular things that happen when the kingdom of God breaks through. These are four features of the kingdom of God that are manifest in the life of the church. And the first one is found in chapter two, verses one through 13, and I call it visitation. All right, now I have kind of mixed feelings about words like this, but when I saw, you're gonna see some alliteration here, visitation and revelation. It's a clever way to help us remember what's going on in this chapter, but look at verses one through four. I call this visitation, and it's God bringing the kingdom through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes we just think this is kind of the birthday of the church, and the Holy Spirit is poured out, but it's actually a kingdom chapter. It's a kingdom passage. All of this is rooted in the rule and reign and love of God breaking in. So verses one through four, when the day of Pentecost had come, the believers were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. So we're seeing here the very presence of God, just as the Father and the Son had promised, is invading them. It's filling them. And really the text is saying they're the new temple. They're a living temple, a temple of people. And there resides the very presence of God, Yahweh, the Father of the Lord Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, filling his church. Some of us read this passage and we have problems. We have baggage with things like tongues. It's such a controversial topic, but what if actually tongues is an expression of the presence of the kingdom? You ever thought of it that way? It's not that gift that divides believers or it makes some, we're the haves, we speak in tongues, and well, we're the have-nots over here, we haven't spoken in tongues yet. That is all a misreading. The, the gift of tongues that are given by the Holy Spirit is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that, the text is. The text goes on in verses five through 13 right after that, and it lists all the nations of the believers who were there, the Jewish people, and it lists the Parthians and all of these various nations that are there, and it's called a table of nations. And what Luke is saying here is that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the unraveling, the undoing, the reversing of the Tower of Babel. 
So Acts 2 is connected to Genesis 10 and 11. And so in Genesis 10 and 11, the people basically say, God, we're going to do it on our own. We're going to build a big tower. And so God divides the nations. And here in Acts 2 is a reversal of that. God is saying, I am bringing the nations back together. And a sign of that is this heavenly language. Them proclaiming the deeds of God together. I'm about unifying the nations now through the work of the Holy Spirit. So it reframes the way that we even understand the expression. This is a foretaste of the kingdom of God when people speak in the language that that God gives. And we get to display this kingdom unity as a church together. God calls us as a reversal of Babylon to show God's diverse family. A second thing here in the verses following, verses 14 through 36, along with visitation, is revelation. The presence of God comes, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God brings revelation. What do I mean by that? Peter goes on to talk about the kingdom message in these verses. Look at verses 14 and following here. Acts 2, 14 through 18. Revelation. Peter, standing with the eleven, raises his voice and addresses them. Men of Judah and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. So after the Holy Spirit is poured out, these people are speaking in tongues, and some of the people that are gathered there from all over the nation say, these people might be intoxicated. We're not sure what is going on. They sure are joyful for 9 a.m. And Peter is saying, no, they are not filled with wine. They are filled with the new wine of the Holy Spirit. At verse 16, Peter is saying, no, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. He's pointing to the scriptures, the text that they were familiar with, and he's saying, this is being fulfilled right now in front of your face. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. So what the apostle Peter is doing here is that He's explaining, using scripture, catch this, he's pointing to the Bible and he's saying, this is what is prophesied in scripture. We're only seeing what God has said he would do in the book and it's happening right now. That is what we do. We learn from this very model right here. When God moves among us, we point to scripture and we say, we do what's in the book. Everything we do, we're trying to acknowledge that it's rooted In Scripture, this amazing message that Peter gives, a revelation of who Jesus is, the work of the Holy Spirit, lays out really our message that we live, that we embody, that we celebrate. Look at verses 22 and following, Acts 2. And again, I am trying to just show you in one chapter how the theme, the major motif of the book of Acts is the kingdom of God coming to and through people, creating the church. Part of this is the message 
Look at verse 22. Peter goes on to say, you that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by, by God with deeds of powers, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law, but God raised him up, giving, having freed him from death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Then he goes on to explain in 32 following, he says, this Jesus God raised up and of all that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him, look at the kingdom language here, what is it? both Lord and Messiah. He is the messianic king. He's the anointed one. Some of you remember, we looked at Psalm 110, that prophecy about the Messiah. Peter is pointing to that very prophecy and saying the Lord Jesus fulfills that. God has raised him up. So this is the message. This is the message that we're called to read and pour over and saturate our minds and hearts with. Some of it's, it's difficult I struggled with, do I read enough of this text? It's kind of a lost art. I think we have to retrain ourselves to focus our attention on the reading of Scripture together. So I'm doing that intentionally so that we read it and we focus our attention on the reading, the powerful words of God, whether we feel it or not. This is the Word of God. This is the message of the kingdom about Christ himself. And it has effectual power on us. It changes us. So that is the message, the revelation of who Jesus is. A third thing here, quickly, is salvation. Again, another dynamic, another characteristic, a feature of when the kingdom of God comes. And this is found in verses 37 through 41. And this is basically the people responding to what the apostle Peter has been talking about. Verses 37 and following. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Look what happens here. Verse 41, those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added. So they are saying, what do we do in light of this message? The kingdom of God breaking in, Peter pointing, explaining, in scripture, and they're begging him, saying, what should we do? And he makes it simple, doesn't he? Several verbs here, what are the verbs? Repent, be baptized, 
be forgiven, receive the Holy Spirit. That first R word is not very popular these days, is it? We think of maybe a street preacher with one of those sandwich boards out on the street, repent, the end is near, God doesn't like you very much, God hates you. That's not the, it's a distortion. This, this word repentance is beautiful. Do you know what it means, church? Turn from yourself. Turn to God. You don't have the answers. That's it. It's not heavy. It's not mean. It's a loving God saying, will you do a 180? Do a 180 and come to me. I am the one who can give you the Holy Spirit, who can give you forgiveness and change your life. That is, it's a beautiful word. Let's retrieve it, right? Let's take it from the guy that is out preaching with a megaphone on the corner yelling and expressing anger. I know it's a good word because I have a friend named Corey. Some of you may actually know him. I went to Rock Bottomley's church, Covenant Community Church with Corey. And Corey was one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. So much so that he kind of makes you sweat a little bit. He talks about things and, you know, I'm reading Russian history. What do you think about this? And I'm saying, Corey, I don't know anything about Russian history. Dude, we're in sixth grade. I don't know anything. So he's been like that his whole life. Very intellectual. He went on to study literature in college. He wanted to be a professor. I could picture him in sixth grade with a tweed jacket, a pipe, just like C.S. Lewis. The guy was brilliant. Unfortunately, in his journey, he began to read some heady philosophy that messed him up. And in short, he became an atheist. And he ended up turning his back on God and got more and more mired in the works of Nietzsche and others, Marx, and he became a raving atheist. And I lost touch with him. We reconnected, and he shared his story with me. He told me that he ended up engaged to an Eastern Orthodox woman, and he was going to marry her, and part of the deal, part of the culture that this lady was in was he had to go and meet with the priest. And he thought, ah, okay, I'll go meet with the priest. You know what happened to Corey? He came into that Orthodox church, and the presence of God came over him. He looked at the icons. He was looking at Jesus. He had never encountered anything like that, and that mysterious presence of God, the kingdom of God broke through into his heart and he couldn't contain himself. He began to think, what is happening? Emmanuel Kant, Nietzsche, Karl Marx, they can't help me out here. The presence, the love of God is invading me. And in short, what ended up happening with Corey was he did precisely what this text talks about. He turns to God and says, what, my, what must I do? And so he ends up repenting, turning from his way, his atheistic way, his disillusionment, his frustration. Usually that's the case, is behind an atheist and beneath those layers is some anger and frustration, some disappointment. It's understandable. But he turned from that and he was baptized into the Orthodox Church. And he's been walking with Jesus And this dude is a disciple. I'm here to tell you, he has ended up being involved in prison ministry and taking the Eastern Orthodox spirituality, the apostles teaching all into various prisons. 
His time was up. It was time for him to experience the salvation of the kingdom of God. He said, what must I do? Perhaps some of you, like me, have struggled with your faith at different times, inviting you into a fresh study of the scriptures. Say, Lord, I, I don't know what I believe. I'm in a tough place. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm angry. I've got some questions for you. Open your heart. The Lord is the God who reached out to Corey. A final thing here, the final word is called habitation. And it's a very brief verse at verse 42 of chapter 2 here. How in the world does the early church deal with an influx of 3,000 people? Are we ready here at our Lord's? What if the Lord said, you know what? I'm going to bring a couple hundred people that I've waited. That These are people rough around the edges. And I feel like they might belong here at our Lord's. What if he sends them to us? 100, 200, 300 people come. Are we going to be ready? It's why we look at the scriptures. How did they deal with it? Well, they created what I call a habitation. They model kingdom community. They make room for the presence of God, a dwelling place of God, and then they make room for other people, a dwelling place for new believers. And what do they do here? Acts 2.42, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We'll be looking at this in greater detail in the future. I want us to take each of those four things. What are they again? Let's say them together. The apostles' teaching, fellowship. That's weak. Let's do it again. What are they devoting themselves to? Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Some texts say prayers. The apostles' teaching essentially is what the apostles learned from Jesus, all that he began to do and teach. And so that is what the apostles' teaching is. You notice it's all that he began to do and teach. It's not the accumulation of knowledge. Let's study the apostles' teaching. No, it's actually the apostles' teaching draws you into a lifestyle. I remember John Wimber visiting some churches early on in his story and he would visit these various churches and he would ask the pastor after the service or someone else, when do we get to do the stuff? And they would look at him and say, we don't even know what you're talking about. We study the Bible here. And he said, I'm ready to do the stuff. I look at what Jesus did, praying for the sick, casting out devils, these various things. When do we get to do that? And they said, we really don't do it. We just read about it. And Wimber said, I gave up drugs for this. So I would call us to study the apostles' teaching, the words and works of Jesus, their emulation of that, and then say, Lord, help us do this stuff. We want to be like Jesus. We want to follow in his footsteps. The second thing very quickly here, and I want to share a story and then we'll, we'll end is fellowship. It's a powerful Greek word, koinonia, and it means fellowship or partnership, and it's essentially reflecting the very presence of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are koinonia. They fellowship. They reside. They are being together in partnership, and the church reflects that. 
on the earth. So if you want to know what koinonia is, it's a very Trinitarian thing. That's it. I was talking with Steve Nicholson. He was here over the last few days. We had a good time with him, our staff, our leaders. And Steve shared a story with me. I was asking for some updates, and I asked for an update about a particular guy. And Steve said, you're not going to believe what's been going on with him in recent years since you and Amanda moved in 2009. I said, please tell me some good news. This guy's life was a mess. It was a wreck. His wife divorced him. He ended up as a single father. He was in Chicago. He was lonely. He was depressed. And he ended up getting a second chance. And part of this, in short, was he ended up marrying a Filipino woman. And they are starting a new family. And they're looking in their neighborhood. And part of his healing has been looking out and sharing koinonia with other people. So he and his wife ended up befriending a woman across the street, a single African-American mother with three teenage boys, and they began to befriend her, share meals with her, invited her to the Evanston Vineyard Church there in Chicago. Long story short, over the last few years, she's become a family member with them. So this guy gets a second chance. His life emerges from the ashes. He ends up with a new family across the street, and they're in koinonia, in fellowship together. Steve told me that that mother was just diagnosed with cancer, and so she has a very limited time to live. And you know what my friend and his wife are doing? They're adopting her three teenage boys. That is koinonia. That is koinonia that demonstrates what the kingdom of God is about. True family, welcoming other people different than ourselves. Powerful. Breaking of bread and prayer, we'll look at this at another time, but breaking of bread is definitely what we do here every Sunday, and then once a month together, we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. We feast on what he's provided for us, the love of God in the person of Jesus, and prayer is reminding us that the church, the lifeblood of the church was prayer. They called out to God. They devoted themselves to communion with God, to friendship with God. So to conclude here, these words, visitation, revelation, salvation, habitation, I want us to do something this morning, something a little bit different. I'm going to ask that this section here You are the visitation praying section. And I'm going to ask you to get in groups of two, three, four. And I want you to take a couple of minutes and pray together that the Lord would visit us. That the Lord would pour out his spirit. We clear on that here? So you can huddle up, start moving around. Some of you may be visitors. You may feel a little bit uncomfortable with with this. That's okay. If you you don't want to uh, participate, that is more than fine. But let's, this group right here, visitation, all right? So I want you to just pray together that God would pour out his spirit and visit us. This section here, you are the next word here, revelation. Pray that the Lord will teach us how to share the message of the kingdom of God. Again, get up, move around if you have to. I know this is kind of awkward, but here at Our Lord's, everyone plays and participates. So I want us to express that in different ways. So this section here, praying about the message of Jesus being shared with people outside. All right, these three sections over here, you're the next. 
salvation. Why don't you get together? If you're sitting next to someone, the two of you can pray. Salvation. Pray that the Lord would add to our numbers, that people would experience the love of God, that we would see the salvation of the kingdom, all right? So here, that pillar all the way over. And the rest of you here, habitation. If you'll get together in pairs, however you see fit for that, pray for God to make us a habitation, a dwelling place for him. Let's just take a a few minutes and do this, all right, church?